Open your Bibles up to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 11, 23 through 29, and the sermon that I've titled today, What Faith Rejects and What Faith Accepts. So let me ask you this question. If you believe something, does it change the way you act? I contend that it does. If you believe it's going to be negative 25 degrees outside, you don't wear shorts, at least most of you that are saying, don't wear shorts outside on a day where it's going to be really, really cold. If you believe the weather report, if you believe that Ohio State's going to win and that's your team, you're going to wear an Ohio State sweatshirt or an Ohio State jersey, or you're going to come and cheer real loud for your team because you think they have a legitimate shot at winning. You believe that. If you believe that studying for a test will increase your grade and give you a better chance at passing so that you can get the degree you want, you'll study for a test. If you believe studying makes no difference at all on that test, you don't study for the test, do you? If you believe that Jesus is Lord, that His Word is true, and that He's coming back, does it change the way you act? I think it does. And I think for Moses, especially it did. And so just to review, we are going through Hebrews chapter 11. We're continuing that sermon series through the remainder of this semester. We will be jumping back in the Old Testament quite a bit because Hebrews chapter 11 picks up speed and he gives a list. We'll pick from that list and we'll go back in the Old Testament and look. But just to remind you, Hebrews chapter 11 sits in between two passages, 10 and 12, on perseverance and endurance. In chapter 11, it has by faith over 20 times. It's a rhetorical device that increasingly tells us to live by faith, live by faith, live by faith. At the beginning, it talks about faith equaling commendation. At the end, it talks about commendation coming by faith so that we understand that we are commended, we are saved, we get a proper testimony from God by faith in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. It's all about faith. In that Hebrews chapter 11 passage, he kind of scans over the Old Testament, zooms in on Abraham, backs back up, scans over the Old Testament, and then zooms in on Moses, and then we'll back back up and pick up speed, zooming through the rest of the Old Testament. Today, we're looking at the passage 23 through 29, where we zoom in on Moses, and when we zoom in on Moses, we come to this central point of the text. Faith, which we have defined as trusting God and His Word rejects earthly titles, temptations, and treasures when in conflict with eternal rewards of identifying with the reproach of Christ. Let me read that central statement to you one more time. Faith, trusting God and His Word, rejects earthly titles, temptations, and treasures when in conflict with eternal rewards of identifying with the reproach of Christ. Now, let me stay up front. A title or treasures are not necessarily evil in and of themselves. But when they come in conflict with following God, serving God, being dedicated to God, then at those moments you have to reject those earthly temporary titles, temptations, and trials in order to follow after God. It's all about what you believe. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. They were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Dear Lord, we pray today that as we look at this passage, that Jesus would be glorified, that our faith would be challenged, and that we would follow you. Lord, just give us Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. As we look at the first portion of this scripture, it breaks down into three separate ways. It breaks down for the first verse to talk about the faith of Moses' parents. The next few verses will talk about the faith of Moses personally. And then the following verses will talk about the faith of Moses and his leadership. So we look first in verse 23 at the faith of Moses' parents. You'll see here in the text, it says that by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. It's passive. It's not that Moses actually did this. He wasn't born as a baby and decided, looked up at his parents and said, hide me. He was just like any other baby. He had nothing to do with this. This is really starting off with talking about the faith of Moses' parents. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid for three months by his parents. Why was he hidden for three months by his parents? You all understand your Old Testament. You know exactly where we're going. There was an edict where all of the babies had been told, the midwives had been told to kill the baby boys, allow the baby girls to live. That didn't work. So then they were told to throw all the baby boys into the river and to get rid of the baby boys. At that point in time here, you have Moses' parents who when he was born, they hid him for three months. Now, I think there's an important point here. They were commanded to do something that went against God's law, and they said, along with the New Testament and along with Peter and along with others, that we have to do what's right before God. You can judge what happens to us because of it. And for three months, they hid him. Now, sometimes when we are confronted with a law that violates God's law, we kind of get this... um, this testosterone, this boyish type attitude of watch me, and we walk out in front of the world, and we put our shoulders back, and we bear our chest up, and we want to be defiant in front of everybody. And here, what we see is not a defiance in front of everybody. They didn't take the baby and go marching up to Pharaoh and say, we refuse to do what you want us to do. But they did refuse to do what Pharaoh said do. They refused quietly, They refused privately, but they refused to obey the law of the land because it was contradictory to God's law, and they hid the baby for three months. Now, I know that most of you in here don't have children, but for three months, the first three months of the baby, this is not a scientific term, but it's called the amoeba stage. I'm just kidding. That's really what I call it, though, because the first three months of a baby's life, all they really do is eat, sleep, and then what that goes in one end ends up coming out the other end, you're changing a lot of diapers, right? That's about all they do. You could, you could hide a baby for the first three months. Four, five, six months, especially with a baby boy, they get a little more active. It gets a little more difficult. They get a little louder. They get a lot louder. And so you're going to have trouble hiding a child for any more than that. So they hid them for the first three months. Then what did they do after that first three months? They obeyed the king's law as much as they possibly could because they put them in the river but they put them in a basket in the river and they made sure that everything was just right so that Pharaoh's daughter would see the child in the basket and there's so much we could go into there, but we just don't have time. And you know how God miraculously worked out that story. But what I want you to notice here is that this is a child from two different perspectives. 
Pharaoh feared the baby boys because they were growing too great. He wanted them killed because they were an inconvenience to his society and building his power. When they looked at this baby, they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. There's a child here from two different perspectives. One perspective looks at these children and says, we need to get rid of them. They're a threat to the way we are currently living. And there's another perspective that looks at this child and says, this child is beautiful. This child is a blessing from the Lord. This child is to be valued. We have the same two perspectives, even in our own society today, where some look at children and they say about children, children are an inconvenience. Children are costly. Children are going to change my lifestyle. They're going to change society as I know it. And so I don't value those children. Let's discard them. Let's get rid of them. And you have others who look from a biblical perspective and they say that these children are valued, that these children are beautiful and they are a blessing from God and they are a gift from God to be given. And so even in Exodus, there's viewing children from two different directions. You all know which one's the biblical direction. Psalms makes it very clear that children are a blessing from the, from the Lord. And so we should look at children, even in inconvenient times, as blessings from the Lord. When you graduate from Cedarville, when you get married, when you have children, and those of you who have children now, there will be times that those blessings from the Lord are inconvenient for something you want to do. But I encourage you to look at it with a biblical worldview and to see those as blessings from the Lord and to cherish even the inconvenient moments and to look upon them the way that God looks upon them. Now, in this verse, it says they saw the child was beautiful. Now, what this does not mean is that if Moses came out with a cone-shaped head, they would have tossed him in the river. That's not what he's getting at. It doesn't mean if he had some type of birth defect, they would have been done with him. This word beautiful here is only used one other time in the New Testament, and it's used in the book of Acts where it's also talking about Moses saying he was beautiful in the eyes of God. And so to the best that we can understand what it's talking about here is that God had a plan for this life and that this was a special child, and they understood there was something special about this child. And so they looked and they saw that this was a child that God had sent as a blessing and not as a curse, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now think about Moses into the bulrushes, Pharaoh's daughter grabs him. They go and they grab his mom to actually take care of him. His mom knows that as a parent, she only has him for a short amount of time. And we understand, and let's be clear, that the faith of the parents does not go to the children. You're not saved because of your parents' faith. You have to be saved based on your own repentance and belief and trust in Jesus Christ. But parents have an obligation to train their children up to understand about Christ and to understand about a biblical worldview. And so we understand in this passage that it was the parents' faith that I bet immediately they started training Moses about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and about who he was and about his identity as being one of the children of Israel. And they wanted him to understand and know because they had a very limited amount of time and they didn't know when Pharaoh's daughter was going to come back and claim him to go to the temple. We don't know how old he was. We don't know if it was six years or 12 years or nine years or a few years. Uh, we suspect it probably had to be several years because Moses then comes to reject identifying with Pharaoh to identify with the children of Israel. So my point to you out of that is as you are planning to be parents, 
As you are planning one day, if God has for you to get married and to have children, and if that's the desire of your heart, to think about that stewardship of God's blessing, not as a possession that's yours, but as a stewardship, because you are training that child to launch out and to do great things for God, for you to think about how is it that I'm going to be a good steward of what God has given me? How is it that I'm going to train that child up in the way of the Lord to understand a biblical worldview, to understand who they are in Christ, to be able to do great and amazing things for God so that we would raise a generation, that we would rear a generation that would fear God and love God and say, just give me Jesus. Even now, I encourage you to begin thinking about how is it that you're going to do those things if that's your heart's desire. Transitions here in verse 24. It begins to talk about Moses personally and Moses' personal faith. It says here, by faith, Moses when he was grown up, refused. And so first we see what he rejected. And so I want to mention a few things that by faith Moses rejected. He had faith, he believed, he understood, and that caused him to reject a few things. First, he rejected the title son of Pharaoh's daughter in verse 24. It says, by faith, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. This was a title it wasn't just that he refused to be called that casually in passing, but this was a title in Egypt that being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter would allow him to have a title that had power, that had prestige, that had money, that had everything that went with it. He was somebody special. And he rejected that title. Now, let me say with a comma right up front, God uses people in certain times and in certain ways through political systems and through positions of power. You think back to Joseph, who he had just used in the book of Genesis. And so it doesn't mean that we always reject positions of titles or of influence or even political positions. But if God calls you to reject that title, you have to follow God and reject that title. God used Joseph and God used Daniel. God told Moses here to reject that title. And so it was by faith that Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Think about what he was giving up. We could read past this flippantly and easily and say, yeah, that's not a problem. But Moses here was one of the top five leaders in all of Egypt, the most powerful kingdom of the day. You think about all the possessions, all the influence, all the power that that brought with it, and for Moses to reject that meant that Moses understood clearly what God had called him to do and what God had laid out. He understood that the Egyptians had enslaved the Israelites and that he had called for all of the baby boys, including Moses, to be thrown into the river. He understood that God had a plan as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for the people of Israel. He understood that God had adopted Israel as his own children, as his own firstborn son, and that as Moses had been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, God had a plan for him and a purpose for his life. And he stood by faith because he believed God. He believed in the promises of God more than he believed in what was immediately around him, and he rejected being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Throughout history, we see people who have used titles and political influence in great ways. William Wilberforce comes to mind. But if God calls you to reject that title, you have to reject the title to follow God. He also rejects in verse 25, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Look at what it says here. He rejected the title, son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. All right, so rejecting a title, that's kind of abstract to us all. But to reject the fleeting pleasures of sin, 
Those temptations that surround us each and every day, those temptations to fulfill our own pride, to fulfill our own lust, to fulfill our own desire for gluttony or for gossip or for whatever it may be that surround us, those fleeting pleasures that bring you joy, those sinful temptations that appeal to you, it says that Moses rejected the fleeting pleasures of sin. And when we think about somebody with that much money and with that much power and with that much of a title, how much access did he have to temptations that we don't even have access to? But his faith, his belief, it caused him to reject certain things, and one of those was the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26, it tells us, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And so we also see here that he rejected the treasures of Egypt. He walked away from a title, he walked away from temptations, and he walked away from treasures because he looked around and he saw these are all earthly, these are all temporary, these are all not lasting, and I want Jesus, just give me Jesus, I'm gonna follow after Jesus, and that's gonna be the goal of my life. And so he sought then to be identified with the people of God and the reproach of Christ, and he sought to give up the title, the treasures, the temptations of this earth. And when we think about that, it's easy for us to say in our heart, I want to give up the titles, the temptations, and the treasures, but how difficult is that really? I mean, think about it. We live in America. To think about giving up all the conveniences and all the comfort that we have to say, I want to follow Jesus and be mistreated with the people of God and have the reproach of Christ. That's what Moses' faith led him to do. It's what faith should lead us to do as well. To say that if God calls us to give up the comforts of a house with central air conditioning and more importantly for Ohio, central heat, to give up the comforts of HD television to watch football on with surround sound and a nice comfortable couch, with a refrigerator to cool our drinks and hot showers to keep us warm in the morning. And if God calls us to say to all of that, now, I'm going to a foreign country. I'm going to plant my life there because that's where I can be most strategic for Jesus. What are we to do if we truly believe in Jesus and in his word? We leave and we go at lunch with the missionary last week that spoke in chapel, Tom Wolf, and we were at lunch and we were, we were having salad and he looked at the salad dressing options and he looked and he said, oh, I've got to have ranch. We can't get ranch dressing in South Africa. And it made me think in my own mind as I was preparing for this sermon, are you willing to give up ranch dressing for Jesus? I, you, you say, yeah, sure. That's a small thing. Until you've been in South Africa for three years and you realize how much you miss ranch dressing and it's what you crave and it's what you want because it's a desire of this earth. And we say it flippantly, but I ask you genuinely as I've been wrestling with this passage, are we truly willing to give up all of the titles, all the temptations, and all the treasures? That's what faith rejects. What does faith accept? Let's look at what he accepted. Verse 25 it says that after he'd refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God. 
Are you willing to accept mistreatment with the people of God? Is your faith that strong that you would say, my faith is strong enough in God that I want to be mistreated with the people of God if that's what God calls me to do? Not that I'm out looking for suffering, not that I'm out trying to make it happen so I can wear it as a badge of honor, but if God calls me to be mistreated, then I'm okay with that because I love Jesus that much. Now, in America, honestly, my generation, we really haven't known mistreatment like I see mistreatment coming in future generations. You know, mistreatment we get is a bad blog post or article on one of the newspaper outlets or something of that nature or some Twitter traffic that talks about how ignorant we are or something of that nature. That's not really mistreatment. It is, but it doesn't really hurt us. But think of what happened just last week when the fire chief in Atlanta, Calvin Cochran, was fired over a book that he wrote that was pro-family. It was about a 160-page book that spent one half page talking about things that you shouldn't do, which included homosexuality, bestiality, pedophilia, other things of that nature. And because in that one half page he included homosexuality, he was fired from his position as the Atlanta fire chief mistreatment because you've identified with the people of God. As I look around this room, I know in my own mind that there are many of you that you're going to have to choose your convictions or your career as to what you're going to do in life. Because if you stand firm for Jesus Christ, it's very likely that some of you are going to lose a job, you're going to not get a promotion, you're going to have people look at you in a weird way, you're going to be truly mistreated because you have stood for Christ. Moses had faith. Moses understood that true biblical faith is okay with being mistreated if it's identifying with the people of God. What else does he identify with here? It says he chose rather to be mistreated than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. In verse 26, it says he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because he was looking to the reward. So what else does faith accept? It accepts the reproach of Christ in verse 26. So are you willing to reject titles, temptations, and treasures on one side to turn and say, I will accept being mistreated with the people of God and the reproach of Christ on the other side? Now, let's be honest. As a business proposition, that doesn't sound too good, does it? You're not going to get a high earthly title. You're not going to get to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You're not going to get to have all the treasures that this earth has to offer. You're going to be mistreated, and you're going to have reproach cast upon you. How do you do that? How do you walk in such a way in your walk with God that you can make those choices? It's because as this passage concludes in chapter 12, it points us to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And it's only if we are looking at the Bible with a biblical worldview and with eyes to the future and to the future reward that we're able to make those decisions here and now to reject certain things and choose others because we truly believe. And that's the question. Do you truly believe? If you truly believe in God and in his word, it causes you to live your life in a different way. Here, the reproach of Christ. We know that the book of Hebrews is written to those who 
had an inclination to want to return to the ways of the law and to the practice of all of the sacrifices because they were being mistreated. They had the reproach of Christ on them because they were acting differently and weirdly, and we're going to be in that boat as well as people look at us and say, you're weird. You don't do things exactly like everybody else in the culture or society does them because you cannot make the gospel look like what culture looks like. The gospel is an exclusive gospel. The gospel is a gospel that exalts Jesus and puts mankind down and culture wants to exalt mankind. And so we're never going to be popular in culture. We're always going to be countercultural if we walk by faith, if we trust in Jesus, if we look to follow him. We're rejecting the things that the world exalts. We're exalting the things that the world does not understand. Is your faith strong enough to make those choices? We see here first it focused on the faith of Moses' parents in verse 23, the faith of Moses' personally in verse 24, and then in verse 27, it transitions again slightly to talk about the faith of Moses and his leadership. And verse 27 is a slightly problematic verse where it says, by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. And you'll note that word invisible hearkens us back to the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11, where it talks about faith being those things which are not seen. And so it brings that to mind. But here it says, by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. The next next verse says, by faith, he kept the Passover. So here's the problem. And let me mention it quickly because I don't want to spend much time here. In verse 27, it says he left. He didn't fear the king. That can't be the first departure of Moses from Egypt because Exodus tells us that he left in his first departure because he was afraid of what Pharaoh might do, and so he fled. If it's the second departure of Moses where he led the Israelites out, then some scholars say, well, that's a problem because verse 28 says that by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, and so it's out of order and the order's mixed up. And so we have a couple of possible solutions. Some scholars will argue it's the first one. I don't think that's the right solution. I think Exodus makes it very clear that he fled because he was afraid. Some will say that it's the second because it's the culmination of all the acts. And you'll remember when he went back to Pharaoh with the various plagues, Pharaoh would get more and more angry with him. And Pharaoh would even say after some of the latter plagues, depart from me, I never want to see your face again. And Moses would say, fine with me in a defiant confidence that had grown through the plagues. He would say, I don't want to see your face again either. That's okay by me. And he would leave in a defiant confidence, I would call it. Perhaps it's the culmination of all of those discussions as he departed Pharaoh. Here's what I want to say to you. I want to say to you that the entire point of this is not the order. The entire point of the Hebrews 11 passage is not that the order is perfectly correct. I don't think the author here intended to get the order correct. I don't think he was giving us his historical order throughout the Hebrews chapter 11. I think he was saying to us, by faith, here's an example. By faith, here's an example. And he was just pulling up various examples from the Old Testament. And so when we look at the order, we see that Isaac and Jacob are mentioned in verse 9 before Sarah was mentioned in verse 11. We're going to see in the next sermon that Jericho is mentioned in verse 30 before Rahab being friendly to the spies in verse 31. We see that Gideon is mentioned, and Gideon occurs in Judges 6 through 8, before Barak, which occurs in Judges 4 and 5. We're going to see that Samson is mentioned in Judges 13 through 16 before Jephthah, who's in Judges 11 and 12. David is mentioned before Samuel. I don't think the author here is that mixed up on his Old Testament history. 
I think what the point of the whole passage is, is that he's trying to say to us, these are all witnesses testifying to how faithful God is. Let's focus on the main point, which is by faith, all of these great things in the Old Testament happened. And so by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the king. For he endured as seeing him as invisible. In verse 28, by faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood. Can you imagine Moses going back to the children of Israel as the leader of that time and saying to them, we're going to do something new and it's going to cost you. You're going to do a Passover celebration. You're going to kill one of your best animals and you're going to put the blood over the doorpost and the death angel is going to pass. And some of these people looking at Moses and going, death angel, what are you talking about? Killing something that's precious to us, what are you talking about that? And if it was a Baptist congregation, I can imagine they would have looked at Moses and said, Moses, we've never done it that way before. And Moses, in his leadership, said, that's okay, we're going to follow God. Some of you may be called to be pastors in Baptist congregations. And when you are, you should go in and say to them, it's okay that we've never done it that way before. We're going to follow God, and we're going to reach people with the gospel, because that's the main thing. And here, he instituted the Passover, he sprinkled the blood, And then in verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. Now, not everybody puts this in here with the faith of Moses' leadership, but I think it fits right here. Moses took the Israelites and he led this company out and they didn't go through the best or the easiest route. They went in a route that kind of had them cornered up against the Red Sea. And in the Red Sea here in Exodus 14, 11, they all said to Moses, they said, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done bringing us out of Egypt? Don't you know that Moses felt appreciated as a leader at that moment? I have stood before Pharaoh. I have risked my life. I have done everything I know to do. I have followed God to the best of my ability. And I got you all through God's power out of Egypt. And I am leading you away. And we come to this point and you look at me and say, what have you done? Why did you take us out of Egypt? And what does Moses respond with? Moses responds, it says in verse 13 of Exodus chapter 14, he said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Think about that faith. By faith, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. By faith in themselves, the Egyptians attempted to do the same and they were drowned. There's a point here to be made too. When we attempt to do things by faith in ourselves, we will fail. It is only by faith in Jesus that we will succeed. So to bring this to a conclusion, what do I want to leave you with? Faith never guarantees you an easy road. But by God's grace, faith overcomes even the toughest road. Are you going to have an easy time here at Cedarville? Probably not. Classes are difficult. Teachers have high expectations. The Lord's going to test you. Things will happen. Faith never guarantees you an easy road. But by God's grace, faith overcomes the toughest road. Are you going to have an easy time in life after you graduate from Cedarville? Probably not. The world has fallen. Sin and its effects are all around us. Difficulties exist. Temptations exist. God never guarantees us an easy road. But His grace is sufficient. 
I've wrestled with this passage and I've wrestled with a list of questions. And I've put these questions up on, on my website because I'm just going to fly through them real quickly. But I hope you wrestle with some of these questions too. First question I've wrestled with is would I refuse a respected earthly title in order to be faithful to God or would I compromise for the sake of power, prestige, and authority? I hope you ask yourself that on your own question. I've asked myself the question, do I consider my current title more important than being a missionary overseas in a place where nobody would ever know who I was or being a pastor of a small country church? I've been searching my heart with this question because Moses here rejected a very important title to follow God with no promises of what would happen in the future. It's the second question that I would challenge you to ask yourself. Would I choose to be mistreated, a mistreated slave in this life rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin? He said, where do you get slave? He chose to be mistreated with the people of God who were slaves in Egypt. And so I asked myself the question, would I choose to be a mistreated slave in this life rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin? And that led me to a more basic question that I asked myself this. A more basic question is, do I reject the temporary pleasures of sin to be faithful to Christ on a daily basis? Rather than even being a slave, rather than even identifying with the Israelites in Egypt, do I even reject the fleeting pleasures of sin on a daily basis? Just to be faithful to God. Lust, gossip, lying, pride, gluttony. You put your list in there. Where's our faith? Do I consider the reproach of Christ greater wealth than worldly treasure? If not, what does it say about my faith and my worldview that I value temporary riches that I can see and touch over the eternal reward that God promises? Last question. Do I truly believe the future reward is coming? And if so, how should it affect the way I live in my daily life? Here's, here's what worked in my own heart as I studied this passage. If I really believe that heaven is eternal and Jesus is the greatest thing out there, I should be willing to reject all the comforts of this world for Jesus. So if there are times in my own heart where I take the comforts of this world over Jesus, the temptations, the fleeting pleasures of sin, what does it say about my faith in those moments? In those moments, it says I love my sin more than I love God. So the ultimate question for us is do we believe? Do we trust God? Do we trust his word? And are we willing to live our lives according to it? It's my prayer for you and it's my prayer for me that we'll say in our hearts a resounding yes. That we will say in our hearts that yes, we believe this is God's word and even though we may fail, we will get back up and we will keep pursuing and running the race looking to Jesus who's the author and perfecter of our faith. A resounding yes that says I will reject the titles, the temptations and the treasures of this earth. Just give me Jesus. It's my prayer for myself. It's my prayer for you as we close. Dear Lord, even in the moments when we have weak faith, I pray that you would strengthen our faith and Lord, that you would help us to live our Christian life in such a way that we are constantly pursuing you. Lord, not in a legalistic way, 
that, that makes our works the focus or the point, but Lord, in a way that allows us to learn more about you so that we love you more, so that our desires change, so that we truly want to glorify you with all that we say and all that we do. Lord, that's our prayer. In our weakness, we pray, and we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.